So, you know, as we jump into our study today in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we have our hypothesis, you know, and a hypothesis is just a, a statement, a premise that we come to Scripture uh, and we allow Scripture to prove or disprove. And, and you know, I developed this hypothesis uh, before, you know, this, this study. And as I began to study and as I began to prepare, uh, I do think it, it, is, it is true, and I think it plays out each week, you know, that ministry relies on relationships. And because ministry relies on relationships, there are practical lessons to be learned from the relationships of those in the Hall of Faith. And no man liveth unto himself, uh, no man dieth unto himself, right? So so this is the interactions that we have matter. They define to some degree who we are. They define our um, the lens by which we view future, uh, you know, encounters with people, right? Uh, I was talking with someone and, and, and was telling them that I was in a car accident in college which was more than a few years ago, and the I was in the passenger seat, and the car didn't stop at a stop sign, or basically they overshot the stop sign and came out into the the intersection. We were on a, I think by definition it was a highway, but it you know a highway with you know with with lights, but we were going at you know 45 or 50, and we hit you know like right in front of me on my side of the car, and still today. When I'm driving, if a car approaches from the right, whether I'm driving or or in the passenger side, I, I tense up just just a, a little bit, right? Because it's, it it reflects me back. All of our experiences, all of our interactions with people, with each other, our relationships, create a foundation of who we are. And uh, I think we're, we're we continue to see in Hebrews chapter 11 this play out. So today we're we're looking at Abraham. And, uh, and specific, you know, we looked at Abraham a few weeks ago, uh, but we looked at Abraham relative to his journey. And Hebrews chapter 11 continues on and really taught in uh, verses 17 through 19 talking about the sacrifice <laughs> of Isaac. And I've labeled this keeping the first things first. And this, I'm going to say some things that might seem a little harsh, might seem a little radical uh, even this morning. And I, I pray that you give me a little grace, hear me out, uh, let the Holy Spirit work because, you know, look, I'm not, I don't think the Lord's called you to sacrifice your children. I don't, I don't think that. Uh, but I think there's a lot of prim- principles and, and premises that we can learn from that interaction uh, that where God clearly did with Abraham to, to test him and prove him. So our text this morning is Hebrews 11, uh, again, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So literally, he didn't just offer up a son, he offered up the son that was the promised son, the son that was going to be able to uh, have this nation that continued on um, arguably for eternity that that ha- that was innumerable, that was unable to be co- compared to anything other than stars and sand of the sea. Like It was through that kid, through that young man, through that son that the promise was going to be filled, fulfilled, but... He had to, uh, Abraham had to offer him up. But notice this last phrase, the accounting that God was able to raise him up. So spoiler alert, Isaac doesn't get killed, right? I think we knew that. 
But even if Abraham had to actually slay his son, Abraham was confident that God would raise him up because of the promise. And that is the background, that is the foundation, that is the premise or the lens by which we need to view this, that God calls us to do some things, and sometimes they seem very anti um very very opposite very uh anti-productive so to speak relative to the to the mission he said i'm gonna bless your son he's gonna be the lineage by which i create a great nation now kill him that doesn't make sense okay and god sometimes doesn't make sense from our ways because his ways are not our ways but abraham as it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, accounted or gave credit, kind of that accounting term, right? Gave credit to God that he was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he also received him in a figure. So we're going to look at some lessons today. And I've been trying to do this. this is, these are the four main points that we're going to look at. The promised son is subordinate to the father. There is patience that is needed to reach the place. So the patience to reach the place is necessary. And there's there's a purpose in the surrender and that you can realize there's purpose in the surrender. Just the submission is part of the victory. And then the promise of the resurrection is very strong, very strong, okay? So let's look at each one of these. So we'll spend a few minutes looking at each one. The promised son is subordinate to the father. So this is a young man, and, and there's the, the, really the only uh, point or, or the only indication that we have of the age of Isaac is he's referred to as a lad. Uh, so he's a, a young man, uh, uh, probably not a boy, probably a, more of a, of a early teenager, or a, maybe a preteen, uh, maybe a just, you know, maybe 15 or so. But it says in Genesis 22, so, so Hebrews 11 is pointing back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, uh, we're going to spend some time there. So if you want to turn to Genesis 22, I'd probably suggest it because I'll have some verses up here on the screen. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis 22. Uh, in verse 1 and 2, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And we're going to look at those things in just a moment that came to pass after these things things. Um, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I, or said unto him, Abraham, and, he, and Abraham answers and says, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell thee of. Now, there is no contradiction. I believe there's no contradiction in Scripture. I think every word of Scripture is important. And he says, take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac. A couple weeks ago, we looked at this. We talked about this. That, uh, Matter of fact, I think it was even last week. We talked about the fact that Sarah encouraged Abraham to try to fulfill the promise through Hagar and had Ishmael. Last time I checked, that's a son. Okay? That's a son of Abraham, not a son of Sarah, but a son of Abraham. Yet God, through God's lens, looks at Abraham and says, Take thy, now thy son, thy only son, Isaac. All right. So while it's clearly about Isaac, 
he's the only son in God's eyes. Okay? So there have been times where I I'm gonna use Brandon as an example. I think this has actually occurred. I know it's occurred with people in, in my past where where one of his boys is not feeling well. Right? So I walk up to him and I say, How's your boy? And he immediately knows that I'm probably referring to the one that he told me was sick, right? <clears throat> now, some parents say, which, which boy? Because maybe there's problems or concerns or maybe we, he had, we had talked about the other boy, right? I do think there's a component of this here where God is looking at Isaac as the only son through which the promise is fulfilled. It doesn't contradict the fact that Ishmael exists. It's a reinforcement that in God's eyes, his plan was directed through the marriage of Abraham and Sarah and the promise of Isaac. He loves the boy, but, but that doesn't matter. He loves, he's going to have to sacrifice. He is going to have to kill his son. God doesn't, I mean, he, God, God addresses it. God acknowledges it and says, whom thou lovest. Now, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure most fathers, if they've been waiting a hundred years to have a kid, they love the kid, right? Not all fathers love their kids, and, and that's a shame, and that's unfortunate. But in this case, Abraham was promised this son, and I, I really do think he loved him, and, and God acknowledges it and says, take thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, now get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. So look at these, these other verses. So I, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that God calls him his own, Isaac his only son. That is a pattern. That is a picture in scripture for us. This is the first time the words or the phrase only son appears in scripture. The first time it appears in scripture, only son. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The promise of God's only begotten son. There's lots of scripture that talk about the sons of God. Us as the sons and daughters of God. But lots of scriptures that talk about even the, the angelic host concept being sons of God, yet Jesus is the only begotten son. There is a pattern here that is being established with Isaac. John, 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. There are conceptually... Other ways God could have taken care of our sin, conceptually, but he chose to manifest his love, the love that he had for the world. He chose to manifest that love that he had toward us in sending or sacrificing his only son. And this pattern in Genesis 22 is reinforced in the person of Isaac. So that brings us to our first relationship rule. Never put the blessing of an earthly relationship ahead of God's command. Again, I really seriously doubt that God's asked any of us to sacrifice our children 
physically to pull out a knife and slay them. I don't think that's the case. Matter of fact, if that were to happen and I was to be called to your court case because undoubtedly that would happen, I would say, I don't think God speaks that way if that was your defense. I don't, that's not what happens in today's day and age. Scripture doesn't point us to that in the New Testament. But we do have commands relative to hating our parents, hating our siblings, hating even our children compared to the love that, and the commitment that we need to have to the Lord. Right? So it is really important for us to put God in his right place, the first things first. I was, um, I think it was, a, can you remember the, the, the series that we went through? Michelle and I went through a, a marriage series at, at, our, at our old church and a previous church before, before we came here. And one of the things they talked about in a marriage relationship is do not put your spouse ahead of God. A, it's not fair. Your spouse is human. Your spouse is not God. Don't put them ahead of God. God has to be number one. Then the spouse can be number. Then the spouse should be number two, even ahead of children, right? And I think even society today would probably say the kids need to go above the spouse, but that's not the biblical structure. It should be God, spouse, children. Say again. That as long as the spouse is right. Well, fair enough, but but they should not be. Yeah, that's fair point. That's fair point. But don't just lift your kids up above your spouse just because they're your kids, right? And God gave them to you. So don't ever put the blessing of any earthly relationship ahead of God's command. If he tells you to do something differently in Scripture, then what you're doing, you need to change and, and adhere to Scripture rather than what the feelings produce of the earth, earthly relationship. It's documented that Abraham loved Isaac, yet God still asked him to sacrifice him. Sacrifice him. So this brings us to our second point. There's patience. <clears throat> patience to reach the place is necessary. Patience to reach the place is necessary. So in Genesis 22, and I probably should have turned there myself. I've got it in my notes here. But uh, Genesis 22, verses 2 to 4, kind of continues the story. And he says, Take and he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now we see, um, so our next slide here, we see in Second Chronicles, and it's not necessarily critical that you understand what's going on in Second Chronicles, except to the extent of they're building the temple, okay? They're building the temple. Then Solomon, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Oren the Jebusite. So literally, the place where Abraham is told to go to sacrifice Isaac is the same place that David is told to buy the threshing floor and the same place that Solomon builds the temple. Like you cannot avoid the picture of Isaac as a type of Christ 
being sacrificed by the father that loves him. Like that's, it's playing out literally in Jerusalem. That It's like, it's, it's, I don't know how else to paint it. And his journey probably, um, I don't, we won't have time to look at the uninspired book of maps in your Bible, but where Abraham was and where t- God told him to go to Mount Moriah would have taken him through Hebron or Hebron, which is the first place that Abraham saw or walked after the promise that was given to him in Genesis 13, 18. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there built an altar unto the Lord. So right after God promises Abraham, wherever your feet will go, I will give you that land. Okay, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Wherever your feet go, I will give that land for you and to, to your children. Abraham would have walked through that same area to go from where he was to get to Mount Moriah. Like, it's going to take him a little bit of time. He's got to walk through that area and he's got to remember, I think God does this on, on purpose, he remembers and God reminds Abraham and says, remember my promise. As I'm walking you through this difficult journey, remember my promise. Isaac is the promised son. I told you already, wherever you walked, I was going to give this land to your kids or to your son and to, to, to the generations that follow him. Remember that promise as you go and have to face this very difficult point of sacrificing your son. It is about 57 and a half miles from where Abraham was to Mount Moriah or Jerusalem. He, it would take about 19, I literally put it in Google today. You could walk it today. It's all in Israel. It would take about 19 hours and rises about 2,300 feet in total elevation. It goes up a little more because you kind of go up and down a little bit, but it rises about 2,300 feet in elevation. So it's pretty reasonable that it would take two and some part of the third day to do it. My point in that is Abraham doesn't delay. Abraham walks with at least some purpose. There's no lack of commitment on Abraham's part here. The third day, he gets up early and he walks for a day. Camps, gets up, walks the next day and gets up on the third day and now can see where God's telling him to go. So it's going to take two days plus a little time. It's very reasonable. Very reasonable. We could we could literally take the journey today. We could walk it today. <clears throat> it's interesting that I think uh, I think I've got another oh, I thought I had another slide here. So so yeah. So oh, uh, the one other thing I was going to say. It's within 1 mile distance. Within 1 mile distance. If we were to leave this very spot and walk to camp at UCM. That's the distance we're talking. So some of you haven't had an opportunity to go to All Church Camp with us, uh, All Church Retreat. It's an event we do in the summer, uh, and so look for that next summer. It's an enjoyable, several churches come together. We stay at the at the University of Central Missouri in the dorms and eat there and, and have really good services, bring in speakers, a lot of folks. It's really a good time on a lot of levels. But it, the distance, ironically, I don't think there's anything spiritual about this, but it's that distance, 57 and a half miles about to go from here. <clears throat> to, I think it's 58 and a half to go from here uh, to, to UCM to, to walk it. This is a doable trip. 
It's a reasonable amount of time. And for two and a half days, Abraham has to think and has to look at his son who's talking with him along the way. There's four. There's only four of them. One of them is his dad. The other two are some guys that are helping. It's, it's, that's, that had to have been a very precious time. Very precious time to Abraham. It brings up our second relationship rule. A mutual journey faith, or a mutual journey of faith, rather, is sweeter when your eyes are on the Lord. So as Abraham and Isaac and these two guys are making this journey and going through Hebron, Abraham has the opportunity to say, Hey, Isaac, God promised me and promised us all of this land. He promised it to us. And hey, you see that? That, that we're going to sacrifice on that mountain over there. Like that's a sweeter journey. That's a sweeter journey when you can do it together and your eyes are on the Lord and his perspective. So this brings us to our third section or a third uh, area today. And the purpose of surrender is realized. Back in Genesis 22, 6 through 9. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they both, or they went, both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. Which is the same response that he gave God, by the way, except the my son part. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place where God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son and laid him on the altar of the, uh, upon the wood. So <clears throat> I put this little catchphrase at the top. Isaac bore the wood, but then the wood bore Isaac. And that's literally what happens with Jesus. Jesus bore or carried the wood, and then at some point the wood carried or held the Lord. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of, all, uh, of us all, literally in part while he carried the cross. Matthew 8 and verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, he or himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And John 19 verse 17 says, and he bare his cross, went, uh, and he bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is in the Hebrew Golgotha. So literally, the pattern continues that the promise of the nation of Israel through the Son, the promise through the only Son who is ready to be sacrificed, who is ready to be offered, that pattern continues with Christ. But notice the willing mind. Notice the willing mind. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, which I have on the screen here, this really we look at in light of an offering or a tithe to the Lord. But it absolutely applies in this context. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So when you're wanting to give something to the Lord, the first decision is, is it will, are you willing to do it? And Isaac was willing. 
They came to a place in verse 9, which God had told him, and, Isaac, or, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound, his, and bound Isaac his son. And I'm going to do something they say you should never do in a, in a PowerPoint, but I'm going to go back to this picture. That is why I chose this picture. Isaac is not fighting him. Now, I don't know what exactly it looked like, but God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. Now, Isaac, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me and let me lay you on the altar for the sacrifice. I mean, that's just like, I can't imagine the spiritual maturity and trust and faith that this young man, this lad had. So it brings us to our third relationship rule. A willingness to surrender the other party in a relationship will result in God's blessing and both do it here. Abraham is willing to, to sacrifice or surrender uh, Isaac and Isaac is willing to sacrifice or surrender in trust to his father. That will result in blessing. A long time ago, Michelle and I made the commitment that our boys are, are not our boys. They are the Lord's. And he can and should take them and use them as he sees fit. It's sweeter, it's it's more special, and it will result, I believe, in God's blessing. And I'm not talking about some hokey blessing, you know, check showing up in the mail kind of thing. I'm talking about the blessing of their relationship. If you were in... Um, in the second service, um, Will baptized a young man who was being discipled by a guy Will discipled. So he's a spiritual grandson in the Lord. There is blessing there, an absolute blessing. So if there first be a willing mind, then you can surrender the other parties, the other people in your life. So this brings us to our... our um, our, our fourth section, our fourth section, and it's the promise of the resurrection is strong. It's very clear in Genesis uh, 22. Again, we're going to read a couple of the verses that we've already read, but in, in verse 2, he said, Now take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So some people say, well, it was actually the place where the temple is. I'm not sure. I, I, would, I would submit that the place where Isaac was sacrificed was probably uh, where Calvary is as compared to where the temple is. I guess we could debate that at another time. But in verse 5, and Abraham said unto his young men, look at this, Abide ye here with the ass, the two guys that were with him. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We cannot overlook the fact, and I know I read it when I read Genesis 22. Oh yeah, well, he's telling them they're both going and they're both coming back. It's the promise of a resurrection. It's literally the promise. Abraham knows he's walked the journey that was going to be given to Isaac, or the land that was going to be given to Isaac. He's been promised Isaac. The only conclusion Abraham comes to is, I'm going to kill him, and God's going to resurrect him. It's the only thing he can come up with. It's the only thing he can come up with. We're both going to come again back to you. And Abraham, and jumping down in verse 10, stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. 
For now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me, because he was God's. But look at this. Do you remember Isaac in the very first verse, or I'm sorry, the uh, the second verse, I, which I read, take now, oh, I think it's on the screen, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for what kind of offering? Burnt. A burnt offering. Not just a stabbed offering, but a burnt offering. Do you know what happens to a burnt offering? It gets burned. All right, good good job, Bible students, right? It gets burned. The promise of the resurrection was not just that Abraham would stab Isaac and God would 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 somehow, you know, magically heal up that wound and he would be okay. He brought wood. He brought fire. He was going to burn Isaac. The promise of that resurrection of both of us coming back is even greater. We've had family members who have been cremated. And in some cases, those ashes have been spread in the ocean. I am thrilled to see how God is going to bring that back to pass. But I have no doubt that he will in the resurrection. It's, it's a promise. It's a promise. I mean, it, it, is, it is amazing to me that Abraham's faith is not just that he's going to slay his son, but he's going to burn him to a crisp because that's what a burnt offering is. The first burnt offering is by Noah after the flood. Most people don't realize some of the animals that made it through the flood specifically made it to the flood to be offered. In Exodus 29, 18, and thou shalt burn, this is not referencing the flood, but just the guidance around a burnt offering. Thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. And look, it is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Because what happens with the burnt offering? It creates a smoke that ascends to heaven and literally into the nostrils of God. The promise is greater than just a resurrection from the dead, but a restoration of the body after it's consumed by fire. That You can take that to the bank, ladies and gentlemen, that our bodies will be restored after being consumed, whether by fire or by time. So this brings us to our last relationship rule, relationship rule number four for today. The promise given by God supersedes any familial relationship or dynamic. It does not matter what's going to happen in your relationship. God, the promise the promise spoken by God, his his word explicitly articulated supersedes any of that. And you can take great great comfort in that. And I found this verse literally or yeah, verses, two verses in James. Now look at this. But wilt thou but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? We don't have time to get into the book of James, but it's about the fact that your faith should compel you to do things. Not that you have to have works to have faith, but your faith should motivate you. But look, was not Abraham our father justified by works? But look at what scripture says, when he had offered. Isaac wasn't killed. Isaac didn't burn, but God's perspective of Abraham is that he offered Isaac. Because he was of a willing mind, 
He was upon the altar. Like literally, he binds his hands and he lays them, lays him on the altar. That was the sacrifice. That was the offering by Abraham. And once the offering happened, that's the point at which the angel could step in. Abraham did in fact offer Isaac upon the altar. Fortunately, he didn't have to slay him. Fortunately, he didn't have to burn his body. But he was in fact an offering that was sweet in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know where you're at in your specific walk with the Lord and with some of these familial dynamics that we've talked about, but don't let anyone, any re- oh, but this, God gave me my spouse or the God gave me this person in my relationship or this sister or whatever. Like, okay, maybe he did. But none of that supersedes the relationship that you should have with the father. Even the promised son didn't get in the way of that. Even the promised son. So I just encourage you today, as you consider your relationships around you, you consider your relationship with with the heavenly father, that you really consider whether or not you've put other people in front of, of him or not. And if you've done that, you need to get that right. There's ways to do that. There's biblical ways to do it. Like, I don't suggest that you send these per, uh, person a text and say, you're in my way in my relationship with God. Like, not the best way to handle that, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. There are ways to handle that. But I would argue the, the, the first way to do it is to make sure God's on the throne of your heart, right? And that can't happen without salvation. So if you're not saved today... That is absolutely the first step. If you've not had your sins taken care of by accepting the gift that he laid out of eternal life through his sacrifice at Calvary, through his death, burial, and resurrection, like none of the relationship situations you got in your life will ever be right. You have to have the relationship with the Lord first. If you want to know, if you want to understand, if the Lord's pricked that on your heart today, See me after class because I want to make sure you understand how to have that proper relationship where God is on the throne and no relationship around you, nothing, whether it's whether it's a dollar, whether it's a person, whether it's a concept or a philosophy, none of that should be in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for the day. We thank you for uh, the, the clearness of Isaac as a type of Christ. But, Lord, the promise that Abraham had that it was going to be okay and that his relationship with you is what mattered most of all and that he needed to listen to you. And if he would listen to you, he would be blessed. Not Again, not materially, not, not in the ways that we often think of or hear to be, to be blessed, but he would just be blessed by having you in the right place in his life and having you on the throne of his heart. And so, Lord, I just thank you for Scripture and how clear it is and how plain it is. And I just pray that you help each and every person in this uh, place to take the next spiritual step in their, in their walk. Lord, every one of us has that next step. And I just pray that you would uh, you would convict us and show us where we need to do it, but help us to act on it. Abraham walked two and a half days 
to do the next uh, step that was in his spiritual journey. So help us to do that, whether it's speaking to a, uh, a leader, whether it's going in front of the congregation, praying or submitting to baptism, whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you not really not allow us to sleep, not allow us to be settled in our heart until we get those things taken care of. We love you and we commend this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a great day. Thank you all on the Zoom machine. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you.